Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome to another podcast, Power, Strength and Vulnerability. I'm your host, Shane Kelton. And today, my guest is my cousin and her uncle. And my, no, not her uncle, my uncle, her dad, um, Tegan and Matt. Welcome. Hi, thanks. <laughs> Hi. Um, is very tired. It's Sunday at 10.20 and she's 16. So um, as much as uh, teenagers don't like getting out of bed, she got out of bed for this. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Um, we've had a few false starts. Um, both of us have kind of, I think we've been meeting to this for five months. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. And we're probably getting in now just before we might go into lockdown mode. Yep. So, coronavirus. Yeah. So at the moment, coronavirus is going around. So if you're listening to this in years to come, uh, you know that we're probably about to go into lockdown. So we thought we'd get this done, um, now. <laughs> Otherwise it could be another two months. <laughs> um, so Tegan is, my cousin, and she probably doesn't know this, but she's been an inspiration for me for the last 12 to 14 years. There's a picture of Tegan in the paper on uh, our bridge at Mum's house that I put up there and used uh, to get me through some bad days through my childhood. So that's probably something you didn't know. That wasn't. That wasn't? No. So um, Tegan's very brave, and we're going to go into bits of her story today. And basically, we'll start it at leukemia. As a young girl, yeah. what do you remember of it? I personally don't remember a lot because I was diagnosed when I was six and I finished treatment when I was ten, uh, nine, nine. nine. Um, so that period of time is sort of, I think, my brain sort of just blocked it out. I'm not sure if it's just because I was young at the time or because it was a traumatic time, but, yeah, I can't remember a lot from it. Yeah. Um... I don't know. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's not – I'd like to know everything, but if, yeah. if you don't remember things, and I guess that's still a powerful thing is that you, you do block out a lot of it because it's, I guess it's quite traumatic and painful. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's probably pretty brave to actually open up about this. I remember you didn't go to school until you were nine, did you? Was it, it was uh, delayed. No, I started school and then halfway through grade one was when I was diagnosed. And then I didn't go to school for pretty much the whole of grade two because of I was stuck with treatments yeah. and stuff. Because I, I remember seeing a post from you on social media like, mm. saying how proud you were because she was back at school. Yeah, yeah. There was I think during grade two she missed about seven months of grade two. Yeah. Um, and the longest stretch without being in class was three months. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she went back to school and picked it up as if she hadn't missed a day. Yeah. Um, but she's a very smart girl. Um, teachers loved her. Uh, didn't miss, didn't have to be kept down at all throughout it. So yeah, she did really well in terms of her schooling side of it. Yeah. Do you remember being told that you had leukemia? Actually do. And yeah. it was not a way that mum and dad probably wanted to tell me. But, um, we were talking, we, I couldn't eat food that someone else had eaten because of like the bacteria and stuff. Yeah. And I think, I was eating eggs and I said to mum, oh, you have some and then I'll have some more later because I don't want to eat more. And she's like, well, you can't. And then I think we started talking about something else and then I was like, oh, not that I have cancer at all. But then mum was like, well, yeah, you do. Okay. So that and that mm. was it. That was. And I was, was like, oh, okay. Did you know what that was? Did you know what that 
don't know, you wouldn't have known what it was about to entail, but did you, what was your thoughts on cancer at the time? Like, were you scared? Um, I don't think I was scared. I think I was just like, oh, okay. And then I just like turned around and watched TV again. You didn't know. I didn't really like understand, I guess. Yeah. What was it like? Do you remember that moment? He wasn't there. Oh. It was just mum. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess when we used to tell you, she said I wasn't there, but um, I guess when we were told by the hospital, um, I guess they were very positive. Um, I guess the version of leukemia that Tegan had and the age that she got it was a very treatable disease. That they basically gave a ninety percent chance of full full recovery. Yeah. Um, which was really helpful for us. So it was almost like when she gets through it, not if she gets yeah. through it. Um, I know there was very it's a very stressful time, definitely. But yeah, I guess when the doctors sat us down across the table, um, they explained how the disease progresses and how it how it starts, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then they went straight into the treatment plan. Um, treatment was going to start the very next day. Um, it's time critical leukemia. Yeah. Um, but Elisa, I don't remember this, but Elisa, my wife remembers the nurse when they told us that she's got leukemia. The nurse pushed a box of tissues across the table to us so that. Yeah, if we needed to cry or anything, they were there for us. So yeah, it would have been instinct for her to probably do that. She's probably done it, unfortunately, in yeah, a number of times. Of times so, yeah. um, what I guess through that three three period, what what are some of the memories you might? I mean, in hospital, meeting other people. Um, I have we have lots of friends that I've met from the hospital. Like they were they formed a group, the parents of the kids that are befriended in a hospital, they've made a group and they're called the Cancer Moms. Yeah. And there's probably about half a dozen of them. They all go out for dinner like once a month or whatever. And it's just their time, especially back when we were all still going through treatment, it was their time to sort of like step back yeah. from everything and just like have a good time. Yeah. Not really talk about what was going on back at home or yeah, in the hospital. Kind of, yeah. yeah. They probably did talk about it though. Yeah. They, admittedly. Yeah. They probably, yeah. They probably did like because mum's worried obviously. Yeah. But um, it was also a time so that they could vent and that they everyone else would listen and it was yeah. But I have they all understood yeah and everyone each other understood well. each other yeah. and knew what they were going through and that's that's a huge thing for parents going through anything with their kids. Like mm-hmm. I know with my depression, mums bounced things off other parents. Um, I'm sure that would be it would have been the same for you guys. It would be about people yeah that know what you're going through. Um, it's not to get advice, but just to vent, yeah. as you say. Yeah, it? we're still friends with all of those people today, and we still catch up. I still talk to most of them on social media. Yeah, um, the kids. The kids yeah. and the adults as well. We're like quite a good group, friendly group of people. So Yeah, we've yeah. all gone through something similar, so yeah. it, brings, it brings people mm-hmm. together. Um, what was it like after – so how did you find out that you were like past, I guess, leukemia and you were – What's the word? It's not healed, it's cured. Cured. Okay, so I finished treatment in January 2013, and that was my last treatment ever. Um, So basically that was when I stopped chemo. And then was it five years later? Five years after, I guess, the intensive chemo, which was January 2012. Yeah, January 2016. Uh, sorry, 2017. I was classes fully cured. Okay, so that was three years ago. Yeah. Mm. That's how was that? What was that moment like? I guess for both of you, because yeah. there's still that always that worry that I'm oh, no, not going to come back. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we've, we've seen other kids that have relapsed. Yeah. Not gotten that to that frame. stage. Um, and 
added stress that puts on them and the parents, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Tegan to be Blue Hewitt, um, yeah. it's yeah, a huge relief for us. We so. threw a big party and everything. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> I, I think anyone really should throw a party at something <laughs> like that. That's, yeah. that's bigger than a birthday or anything like that. Yeah, because um, you, you do. If I, I'm getting, I can only imagine it just would continually sit with you. Yeah, from time to time, and just consume the mm-hmm. thoughts as we go through this again. And um, as much as you don't remember the treatments and that, well, what do you remember of the treatments and the pain and the suffering? Um, one of the treatments in particular was called the Peg. I think it was PEG, but I, yeah. I don't know what that stands for. So we called it the Peg. Yeah, the, the drug's actually Peg asparaginase. Okay. So yeah, I guess they. Um, just one of the, the chemo drugs that they give you. Yeah, so basically it was a needle and it went straight down. It didn't go on an angle. It went straight down into my bone and that was like the only thing I remember that hurt, that hurt so bad. Even yeah. if I put numbing cream, even if I iced it beforehand, it still hurt so bad and I was probably, yeah, that was probably the thing that hurt the most. Yeah. Because um, most of the tr- chemo went through a little, it was called a port Yeah. and it was basically, it was under my arm and it had a uh, I don't really know. Can you explain it? Yeah, I guess it, it was under the skin, under a, like near her ribs, under arm, under, under armpit, uh, and had a like a silicon membrane in the port that the nurses would inject through the skin, through the membrane into this port, and then as I guess the drugs were pushed into that port, there's a tube that goes up and into her, basically close to her heart in her bloodstream. Yeah, so it's immediately pumped out. Body. Yeah, so it went from there to there, and I've got the scars to prove it as well. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not in me anymore. They took it out probably six months after I finished chemo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still got it as well. It's like in a little urine container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're allowed to open it though because of all like the toxins and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I'd keep it personally, <laughs> but I don't know how I'm not in that position. I knew, yeah. I knew someone that. One of my friends at school, she kept hers, um, and I sort of said to Dad, I was like, well, can I keep mine? And Dad was like, I'll see what I can do when I went in to, like, get it out. And um, apparently the doctor was like, no, you can't have that. Because <laughs> it's bio-waste. Yeah. yeah. And then Dad was like, oh, can you, like, sort of so- sort something out? And then after I'd taken it out, he brought it out to Dad in the little jar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like? I mean, obviously – you were cured in 2017, but after all the treatment had finished, did it feel like? Because probably through that time you weren't you weren't a normal kid. Yeah. In the spectrum of what normal is seen to be, <laughs> um, like what was that like then? Basically coming back into full time life, I guess, without treatment. Um, my fitness declined a lot. Yeah. And it still hasn't really fully recovered, even though it's been seven years since yeah. I finished chemo. But um, basically, I couldn't keep my breath if I was going to like run around with my friends and stuff at recess and lunchtime at school or outside of school or whatever. Um, it was people still would, I guess, step on around eggshells. Yeah. And they would talk to me and stuff. They didn't want to bring up anything that would trigger anything. Yeah. But I was like, I don't really care. Yeah. Like, I'm a normal kid still. Yeah. I was throughout the whole thing, but not yeah, I'm still me. Yeah. Like yeah. the kid that I was throughout my chemo hasn't changed. You just you just had other stuff going on. Yeah. 
I just had other stuff going on and I wasn't there a lot of the time and I couldn't make it because I couldn't make it to some things because if there was like people with colds and stuff and I couldn't get sick because I had a compromised immune system. Yeah. Yeah. Which wouldn't be ideal with coronavirus. No. Exactly. No. All the um, hospitals are pretty much cancelling non-urgent. Mm. Do you procedures? No. Appointments. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Non-urgent appointments. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't want outsiders coming in. And they're also um, restricting visitors as well. Um, yeah. If you probably go back to the time when you were sick, that would be the last thing you'd want is people to be pushed away from you. Yeah. Because you, you, you're in pain, you're suffering, yep. you're in isolation. The last thing you want is further isolation. Yeah, definitely. Mm. You, want, you want the family and the friends and the support. Yeah. Where I actually yeah, have read that people suffering and so and stuff in hospitals can't even have their parents around. Wow. It would yeah. be horrible. Like, yeah. but, but at the same time, you obviously don't want to take that risk. Yeah. So, that would have been hard for me because um, my nana lived probably 10 minutes down the road from the hospital and hospital food is trash. <laughs> um, and to stop me from having Maccas or Subway every meal, Instead of eating hospital food, because that was trash. It was not good at all. It was not one good hospital food. Actually, that's a lie. Belly. I'll come back. I'll come back to that one later. <laughs> um, but my nana lived ten minutes down the road, and she would bring me eggs and mash for dinner probably a couple times a week. Yeah. And I don't, I think if I was going through that now, I wouldn't be able to cope because hospital food is trash. <laughs> <laughs> what hospital food did you like? Um. So on. The very first day when I had my um, when I was diagnosed, one my very first nurse, Frances, she brought me fish and chips. They made it specially for me in the cooking in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> the cooking room, the cooking area. <laughs> um, and that was the only good food that I had. Yeah, and that was my very first meal in the hospital. Um, yeah, you would have been so excited for what was to come, but yeah. <laughs> it was just inflating after that. Yeah, it was just like, what is <laughs> this? This is crap. <laughs> Um, what were the nurses and doctors like? I don't know. It's um, probably a question for both of you, really, because you both had different points of view here. Mum and Dad always say to me that the nurses loved me because I was really cute, um, and I still am, so <laughs> everyone loves me. Um, they, they would always be really nice. They would always ask questions, if, and they say, call us if you need, because obviously that's their job. Yeah. But um, they would be there for Mum as well and Dad. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they just loved me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I suppose um, most of the hospital stays that Tegan had, Elisa would stay there with her overnight because so, I was working, of course. Um, but I guess in terms of the nurses, yeah, they were all very um, diligent in their work, um, very friendly, most of them. There were one or two that we didn't get along with. We had run-ins with. Mum, mum got a big girl shoes on and complained. <laughs> 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 complained to like the head nurse yeah. about this one nurse because she was hanging around at like two o'clock in the morning when we we're all sleeping. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, most of them will be considerate of the middle of the night that you're going to be asleep, don't make too much noise. This one nurse was treating it as if it was the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the doctors obviously knew their stuff. Um, the head oncologist at um at Monash Children's, um, his name's Dr. Peter Downey. He was just phenomenal, excellent. I guess he could, he he could bring a fairly technical conversation down to a layman's level. Yeah. Um, I had a fair few conversations with him along the way and he was very good at explaining, I guess, a lot of the medical jargon and, and how, how the disease progresses, treatment plans and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> um, 
But yeah, all the do- all the doctors, yeah, exceptional. Yeah, I think, yeah. You kind of both a little bit lost for words at the nurses and doctors, which yeah. which to me does show how important they were. Yeah. You, you just can't. I guess you're both struggling to put yeah. a, a word on it for them because yeah. they're they were so amazing. Yeah, uh, look, I, I guess one big example for me was um, Easter. 2011, I suppose. Um, Tegan was in the midst of her intensive chemo treatment. Um, at the time in the cycle of treatment, she was very low on platelets, which is one of the components of your blood. Um, that's what clots the blood. Uh, so before Easter, because there was going to be four days where it was going to be, I guess, skeleton staff in the hospital. Um, before Easter, she got a tr- transfusion of platelets to, to boost Based her levels up. up. Um, and then we noticed on Easter Sunday that she was starting to get these little red dots on her skin, which is called tracheal hemorrhages. Basically, it's your capillaries that are bleeding under the skin. Yeah. And that's a big sign that your plate level is too low. Um, so we took her straight to the hospital, um, got straight into the ward, and they gave her a transfusion. Um, I guess because of the Easter period, there was a limited stock of, of blood. Um, and she still wasn't, like her plate level wasn't coming back up again. Yeah. Um, over a, a day. Um, so I think it was Easter Monday. She, she was starting to put a lot of weight on. She had a beach ball stomach, basically. Um, in a lot of pain. She was on endone. Um, so she was in a lot of pain, a lot of, um, distress. Um, endone bulked a lot, but she was then very groggy. And then the, I guess the, Substitute doctor that came in, the, I guess the on-call doctor that came in that day, um, looked at her and and he basically diagnosed that she'd had this disease called VOD, which is venoocclusive disease, I think it's called. Basically, it's her liver is blocked up with all the platelets, yeah, and the blood can't flow through the liver, so it was basically flowing into the liver and then reverse flowing back out when okay. it came in, yeah. Um, very, very dangerous disease. Um, it's a deadly disease. Yeah. Not um, yeah. There's treatment for it, and he got straight onto that. Um, but I guess th- we've never seen this doctor before. Yeah. Um, he came in on that day as, as a, I guess, a relief doctor so that the main doctors can have the, the Easter period off, and then we never saw him again afterwards. And he was only there that one day, and it was the day that he diagnosed this disease in Tegan and, and saved her life, Yeah, basically. In an instant, that sounds mm. like the sounds of it. He knew, yeah. he knew, he knew, he knew straight away. And the treatment was um, in a bag that would go through the port, and um, it was like $1,000 a bag. Yeah, and I had and to have, have it four times a day. Yeah, so you were pretty expensive for a kid at that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was four bags a day, and it was at least two weeks worth of treatment. Wow. And we woke up one day, I think it was. One of the nurses hadn't set it upright overnight, so it was all like on the floor. So that was $1,000 just wasted. <laughs> oh, super. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's greater. I guess everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. That's probably the mistake you'd rather than make then. The nurse, when she found out about it, she was very, very upset. Yeah. Um, She came and apologised to us, and um, but I mean, it didn't affect the treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah, still she was very upset that she made the mistake. Is there anything? I've got one last question, but I'll ask after this question. Um, Is there anything else you two would like to add to that sort of period of your life before we move on? Want to talk about challenge? Yep. So, obviously, there's times when you're in the hospital and then there's times when you're outside the hospital. And when you're outside the hospital, you're obviously well enough to be outside the hospital. So you want to be able to keep your mind off the chemo and the treatment and the cancer altogether. So um, that's when we got involved with charities like Camp Quality and Challenge. And basically they set up a day 
programs and camps that you can go on and basically it's for either for a weekend or a week in the school holidays um and they take however many kids um siblings and patients and they just take them away and do fun activities for the weekend and pretty much just take take their mind off life yeah and it's you can also they'll also take like chemo kids and past chemo kids yeah so camp quality runs from i think four to 13 camp quality runs from four to 13 so i've graduated from camp quality now because yeah. i'm 16 and Haley has as well my sister um but during that time i guess it was really good because they would yeah we'd go on camps we'd have fun we'd make new friends yeah. because we we all had the same experiences um and challenge was good too because we had they had camps. They had they had day programs. They had a very famous sleepover in the Hilton every year. Yeah. In one of the days in the July school holidays. Yeah. And basically, you could stay up all night. And they had a games room. They had a movie room. They had like painting, um, board games, and you could just do whatever you wanted in that twelve-hour bracket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's no parents allowed, so <laughs> all these um challenge volunteers are up all night with these like six to 13 year old kids yeah just running them up. just run- <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that was pro that those are probably the best nights to but go to is that is that all free is that all yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yeah, nice. yeah. yeah. Stuff. And oh, it is really important that you mention that because if someone listens to the same thing, they need to know this kind of stuff's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's obviously really important for you and for Hayley. Yeah. But then the parents get a break as well. Yeah. 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 And um, the, they also Challenge in particular do activities for the parents as well. Yeah. They've got a, a dad's club and a, and a mum's club as well. So And they run like um Challenge runs a ball, like a dance ball. Yeah. Um and it's called Diamonds are a Girl's Best Friend. And they run that every year and it's for all the mums and stuff to go yeah. to. Yeah, it's a it's a big fundraising thing. It's I think it's something like two hundred dollars a ticket. It runs at the Palladium and Crown. Yeah. Um so it's a big fundraising event, but then a lot of the mums um that have kids that are going through a treatment or have been, they also buy tickets as well and get a whole table of them together so yeah. they can have a, a good time. Yeah. And well. um, I'm not sure if they do it anymore, but when I was back on treatment, they did like mum's weekends away and dad's weekends away. Yeah. So it was also mum and dad would go off and have their time with the other dads or the other mums. Mm. And I don't know, they went fishing, I think. The dads went fishing. Yeah, and they all, the mums they all, went and had day spas. And yeah, mum things. Yeah. Um, but, and they just... And it, it's not just about the parents and the kid going through treatments, it's siblings as well. So yeah. yeah. Um, the times when Haley went on camp that Tegan didn't go on camp. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was either too old or too sick. Or, yeah, and yeah. I guess it's, it's it is a it is a whole family experience. One person going through it, and yeah. you go through it, but yeah. the three closest to you go through it with you. Yeah. And mm. like I, I know, I always thought read your stuff, and you could mm. see the emotion in it, and you all lived that through that. So yeah. it is really important that everyone has that. And like I didn't know that there was those things, so it's really good. And, I'm guessing a lot of people probably don't. Yeah. No. But it's good to know because... The the hospital does a really good job of giving you some information about it when you're first diagnosed. Yeah. Um, so that that's where you get introduced to it. But then there were some families that we met that didn't want to be involved. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to go on camps. They didn't want to be around other sick people, around other parents that are going through it or whatever. Yeah. And that's their choice. Yeah. 
Um, but we found it was really, really fun, first of all, and it was good to hear other people's stories and, I guess, give them an ear to yeah. listen to their story as well. Yeah, because yeah. the worst thing you want to do is feel alone mm. through yeah, that time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's not fair mm. on anyone. It's a bit of my language, but it's shit. Yeah. It is. It's, so you need to be able to say that to someone, say, this is shit, this isn't yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you need to be able to vent that out, and then you, once you get it out, you can go, right, what's the next step? Going forward, so yeah, and um, once you age out of sort of account quality and challenge, because they're sort of the the challenge goes through challenge goes right through to eighteen, but account quality is just four to thirteen, as I said before. Once you age out of camp quality, there's also another one, another charity called Canteen, and basically that's for the older kids. And um, it's not just for cancer kids as well. It's for people. It's for kids that like are carers to their parents. Yeah. So if they're like disabled or whatever. Um. And I'm I'm not a part of Canteen yet, but I'm planning to join them in the future. Yeah. Um. And they, I'm assuming they go on camps as well, and they do activity days. I haven't really read into them a lot, but um, that was information that was given to me once I graduated from Camp Quality. Yeah. My last question I've now forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I haven't. Uh, on, on the leukemia, on the whole cancer journey, journey. what advice would you now give to other parents and other kids that may go through this? Because I know there would be times where you want to hide in your room yeah. for days. What advice would you give them? Because and I know it doesn't end well for everyone, mm-hmm. but... For you guys, it has what advice would you give? Um, I guess for kids going through it or adults going through it, um, don't be afraid to just talk about what you're feeling because I think I found that I was I would talk about whatever because yeah. I was just a really talkative kid. But I do know some people that would sort of just not really want to talk about it at all. And I know especially one of my friends from the hospital, when he finished his treatment, he just like got rid of everything from it. Yeah. He was just like, no, I don't want that to be – I don't want that to define me. I don't want that to be a part of my life anymore. Um, but I think keeping – not thinking as of it as a negative, especially if you do get through it all, if you – you can say that you survived cancer and like you kicked cancer's butt. And I think that's not something that a lot of people my age can say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just don't be afraid to speak out. Uh, don't look at it as a negative. Make friends. Make Definitely friends. make friends. If you don't, if you're staying in hospital and you don't know anyone, go to the playroom yeah. because there's always going to be kids in the playroom. Um, there's always going to be kids in the art room. There's always like playrooms and art rooms on the wards. Um, make friends with the nurses because if you made friends with the nurses, it's kind of like if you make friends with a teacher, um, you get special treatment. <laughs> so if you make friends with the nurses, then they'll all be like, "Oh, hi, Tegan. How you doing today? Do you need anything? I can get that for you." Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's all for me. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very similar, I suppose. Um, this, particularly with Tegan, one thing that Tegan does, she actually celebrates her anniversary when she was diagnosed. Yeah. Not when she finished, when she started. Yeah. And she's done that right through, even when she was still under treatment. She celebrates her, her cancer anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. What date is it? Uh, 31st of August. 2010. 2010. So this year it's 10 years since I was diagnosed. Mm. Um, I guess in terms of the hospital, we, we, we were always very supportive of staff. Um, there were other families that you'd almost see them, not on a daily basis, but almost every interaction they had with nurses, doctors or whatever, there'd be a rant on Facebook about what they did wrong. Yeah. For us, 
I see that they're doing the best that they can. And yes, mistakes get made, like Deegan's drug got spilled all over the ground. Yeah. But at the same time, they're doing the best they can, and I'm sure they feel worse mm. than you could ever make them feel. Yeah. Because they've made a mistake or whatever. And they're just doing what they're told as yeah. well. Yeah. They're underpaid, they're overworked. Yeah. Supporting them as much as we could was maybe a different. Um, yeah, I guess speak to as many other people that are going through it as you can. Um, get there, what they're going through. Um, you can talk to them about what you're going through. Uh, you know, we, we made friends with people that we lost, um, along the way, which was very difficult. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a hell of a lot more difficult for them. And at least if we could be there to support them, that helps them a little bit, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it would. It's a lot easier yeah. going through something with other people than yeah. by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I I attended one funeral of one of the kids that didn't make it and probably it's probably one of the hardest things I've done. Yeah. There it was a identical twin, so he had his brother it was a bone marrow donor for him and it didn't work. Yeah. Um they were, I think they were, I'm not sure what culture they're from, maybe Malaysia or Cambodia. I think it was Vietnam. Vietnam, was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, one of the things that they believe at the funeral, first of all, they have an open basket yeah. and everyone walks past the body to say goodbye. Um, but they believe that the spirit is there watching the funeral. Yeah. And if it sees anyone crying at the funeral, it, it, they feel that they can't leave because the family is still upset. Yeah. So we weren't allowed to cry at the funeral. <coughs> wow. That's, um, and that was, that was pretty tough, but I kept on thinking, it's not my family. Yeah. I can't imagine what the family is going through being there and not, not being able to cry. Yeah. So that, that was. Yeah, really tough. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because it's clearly hard. Um, so they're both there, Tegan, that are folding hands now, um, supporting each other. Um, and that sort of brought me to another question is how is the family bond by this, by your cancer? Like, has that, has that just increased the bond that you four have for each other? I mean, Hayley probably doesn't get out of bed to embrace <laughs> that family bond, but, um, um I think so. And, I know Haley definitely felt a lot. Uh, she felt an outsider a lot of the time because there was times when she couldn't stay at home because, like, mum and dad weren't going to be home. Yeah. So she would stay with nan and pa and grandma and grandpa a lot, and then have to go to school every day. So it was like a half hour drive to school every day. Um, and there was, I think, there was a point in time where Haley was just like, "No, I want to go home with mum. Yeah. I just want to be home with mum and dad." And I actually don't know what happened after that, but um, I think that was. A very, she was very felt very alone. I think, and I think that's also when the camps helped out as well because yeah. she could sort of release her inner performer because that's what she is now. Um, release her inner self and be who she wants to be instead of oh, her sister has cancer. She's the girl. With- it's all about it. My sister. Yeah. Which is probably it's not a, it's a natural way to feel. You feel left yeah. out, but yeah. And it's probably hard for you as parents as well because you, that's not your intention, but yeah, you exactly. Don't have a choice. Yeah, and I guess that um, just talking to that Haley was four when Tegan was diagnosed, so she, didn't she had really understand. no understanding what was going on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, early on Tegan was in hospital a fair bit, and Elisa was in hospital with her, and I would be at work, so I can't 
look after Haley and then work and then get her to school and then pick her up. And so, yeah, she was staying with grandparents and we didn't realise at the time how much she was missing out. Yeah. I, I guess once once she um, broke down, basically, and said that she doesn't want to stay with Nana anymore, who's her favourite person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they are literally the same person. It's so funny. <laughs> they both thrift We shops. sort of realised that we've neglected her. It had only been a few weeks, but at the same time, we didn't want that to be an ongoing thing to make yeah. sure that we – it was hard because we didn't want to shower gifts on her and say – or praise or whatever, say, you're – this is – because you're going through a hard time. Because Tegan was going through a harder time. Yeah. A fight for her life. Yeah. Um. And then if we were paying too much attention to Haley and and Tegan would get upset. It, it, it's a very hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a juggle. It's a juggling act. You're never gonna win or get a hundred percent right. No. You just do the best with what you got. Like yeah. if you got a million dollars and you could stop work. Yeah. Well then. Yeah. You exactly. Probably that, get the balance be a lot better. But realistically, it's not possible. Yeah. So. On that note as well, I was actually a really annoying bugger because <laughs> I <laughs> I would want dad there for my treatments. Like if I was having a day treatment in the cancer center, I would want dad there. But if I was staying overnight. I didn't like dad in there because he would snort and he would like keep me up all night. I was like, nope. And we tried earplugs. We bought earmuffs. Like we brought a whole lot of stuff to just stop everything, but it just didn't work. So I would want dad there for treatments, but then mum would stay over with me at night. So yeah. it was, it was very, um, controversial, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Contradicting. I guess, um, in regards to bringing us closer together, Yes, I think it definitely has brought us closer together. Um, you know, we're all, we all get along pretty well now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we saw other families who were torn apart by it as well. Um, marriages broke down, um, you know, kids went off the rails, all sorts of stuff. Um, so we always sort of said that it seems like it either really solidifies marriage and your, I guess your family unit. Or it can tear it apart. Opens so up the cracks. Really, yeah. yeah. Potentially, if there was already cracks little cracks there between a husband and wife, it can really yeah. blow it apart. Yeah. But Elisa and I both really focused on getting through yeah. and, and working together. Um, whereas I think, yeah, other people potentially with the stress of the whole situation, um, may take it as a chance to bicker and fight and get worse and worse and worse. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's, a, I, it's a completely normal thing, to be honest. You, you see a lot of people who, where their kids are suffering, they don't know how to express what they're feeling. And that when you don't express how you're feeling, it comes out in anger and blame yep. and yeah. judgment, which then, breaks people apart. Now, if you're <coughs> sorry, I got the coughs. Um, is um, as you've mentioned, you were speaking to other families. You were getting help from other families. You know, you're listening to other families. You were actually venting in other ways. Then when yeah. you came back to, I guess, deal with Tegan and the treatment and stuff like that, you were a lot stronger for that. Whereas maybe other families mm. just held everything in and exploded because that's naturally what we do. Yeah. Unfortunately. So maybe that can be a bit of advice that I could give, I suppose, um, to people out there. And you've both said it as well, is to speak to people, make friends, yeah. talk to people. Mm. Definitely um, make friends. Yeah. And just because it's okay to vent in that, in that way to other people. Yeah. They don't need to necessarily give you an answer. Sometimes mm. it's good to just let it out and then you realize how unrealistic whatever you're thinking is yeah um 
Let's move on. Okay. Happy with that? Yeah. Um, I could talk for hours, so. Yeah. yeah I, I, and I know. And, like, I looked before and it was, like, 17 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I reckon we'll probably wind this up in the next two or three minutes here. And it sort of just keep going. So we'll pause it here. Um, but I guess the next thing is I want to talk about. I want to talk about this before we get on to Kate. Okay. Um, we'll leave Kate till last. Um but I guess I want to talk to you about your mental health challenges now that you might have. When did you first start having them? What's it like for you? Um, I feel like I've always sort of – I'm not sure when it started. Yeah. Um, I haven't properly been diagnosed with anything there, but I feel – I get really anxious about things. Yeah. Um, especially now because I'm in VCE um, and a lot of the decisions that I make now and a lot of the things that I do now does depend on my ATAR and on the rest of my life. Yeah. It sounds like you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah. Here's my inner, inner counsellor coming out of it. <laughs> um, sounds like you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Uh, into it. Yeah. Well, everyone does. And I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get one, but... Um, I'm going okay, I think. Yeah. Um, um, so what What does that anxiety look like for you? Because you've mentioned some stuff to me. You've openly yeah. chatted with me a little bit and you can share what you want to share this time. But you're a teenager going through some mental health yeah. um, adaptions, whether it's illness or whatever, it doesn't really matter. There's some struggles there. What do, what do they look like for you? Um, I suppose... This is harder than the leukemia. Yeah. Talk, isn't it? I can say it. I can say it. Um, I suppose because with you and you talk about there's triggers and stuff. Yeah. I don't think I have really a lot of triggers that sort of triggers it. I mean, there will be moments that I'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I guess there's a lot of peer pressure to do with it. Yeah. Um, is that a coming from a fear of you're missing out? Um, yes and no. I think um, my generation has a lot of FOMO these days. Um, and if you're not sort of keeping up with the social norm, then get out, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's pretty tough, tough for you. Yeah, so what, I we'll, what, I'll, what I'll do is yeah. we won't talk necessarily too much about the struggles, but mm-hmm. what do you do to help the struggles? What are the things that you do in your life that, you know, get you away from those moments of anxiety and depression and, and those horrible feelings? What are the things that you enjoy doing? Um, I play cricket. Yeah. Which you know. That's because... where I was leading. Yeah. That's where I wanted this to lead. <laughs> okay. I thought it might yep. lead there. Okay. Yes. You're so female playing cricket. I play cricket and I've also played baseball and AFL. Yeah. And I used to swim as well. But yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone does swimming in a point of their life. I don't do that anymore though. Yeah. But um, now I play cricket and I play for two teams. I play for the juniors at Lang Warren and I also assistant coach them. The junior girls, there's only one team, so it's a whole under-18 age group. Yeah. Um, and then I also play for Frankston Women's Cricket Club in their shield side, so the top side in the club. Um, and last year I started playing for Frankston and we won our premiership, the, the one-day side, which you would know that because yeah. Um, yeah, cause I came to your one, so yeah. we talked about it. Um, and I think cricket is really good. Release. Release. Yeah. Because I'm with like-minded people. Like if I bring up cricket at school, people will be like, oh, cricket, I don't get that. Yeah. And then I'd be like, well, why don't you get it? Oh, the scoring's weird. And I'm like, well, I can explain that to you. Oh, no, not, can't, can't be bothered. Don't worry about it. And then you just talk about something else. Yeah. But 
when I'm with, when I'm at the club, everyone knows more than what I know. So I learn from them. Yeah. And they sort of just cricket like it's. So sports, sports ultimately the release that yeah. allows you to get outside your head for a period of time. Yeah. Uh, and I've clearly seen that. I've clearly seen what it does going to watch you play. Yeah. Like you just love it and the other women love you being around. You can quite easily tell that. Um, and there's some fair cricketers in yeah. the side as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what do they know about your mental health struggles? No. Uh, no. Okay. Who and does? Um, Anyone apart from me? No. <laughs> Not really? <laughs> Not really. No, really? Because um, like, I guess we don't really need to talk on it much more, and that's completely fine. Um, but it's good to just briefly touch on it because it will help a lot of other people out there that might listen to this. Yeah. Um, some might be your friends yeah. as well um, that you probably know might be struggling as well. Um, and there'll be a lot of people in the same age bracket that might just hear you speak briefly about this. So what I will ask, and I think this is a very interesting topic in the world at the moment, but what's it like for you watching the AFLW and Women's Big Bash and this and Women's Creek team and stuff like that? Because there's a lot of powerful women yeah. who are putting themselves in the firing line, basically, yeah. to be criticised and judged. I love it Yeah, because it gives not just me but girls – younger and older than me, a pathway if they do want to pursue that sport that they are into. Um, and it also shows males that don't, that have a gender bias side that girls can do it too. Yeah. And that we're better than the boys sometimes in the case of... Is that a challenge? Is Tegan want me to come bowl to her? I'm not about it. I'll bowl to you. Um. I think, yeah, it is really good and obviously it's taken a long time to be a really good competition and the AFLW is definitely still a developing competition because it's only, what, the third or season? Maybe fourth season. And obviously the men's AFL has been around for centuries. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think the women's cricket especially has been – is really thriving at the moment because – it has had a lot of time to sort of build up to what the, especially the Australian team winning the World Cup the other week. Um, it's taken a long time to sort of train to be at that level. And obviously they've recognised all worldwide. Um, and I think if we were talking about this probably 10 to 15 years ago, it probably wouldn't be the same conversation because obviously the AFLW is not there. Um Women's Big Bash. We, women's there. Big Bash wasn't there's around. No, there's no women's cricket on. No. It wouldn't women's cricket existed. Women's, but, and it, it was an Australian team. But it, it wasn't broadcast. Yeah, no. it was and not broadcasted. On the we probably wouldn't be having this conversation 15 years ago no. about women's sport. No. You pro- and period, to be honest, you probably wouldn't be playing. Yeah. You'd be fighting. Yeah, you know, Frankston Women's Cricket Club, they got established in 1978. Yeah. And they're a purely win- women's cricket club. There is no men's club associated with them. So. I think for them to have been around for that long is really good, and I think they're going to start to flourish now. But. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing you, you see; they are very strong women involved. Like I haven't necessarily chatted with any of them, but you mm. can see they're strong, and no doubt they've started in 1978. They've been criticised. They've been yeah. shamed. They've been pushed down. They've been probably told, "No, you can't have a club." Many a time, but they still fight through it, and I guess that's really good for you, is because. Yeah. You have those people to support you 
yeah. um, there. And you don't necessarily need to talk about the struggles that you might have with playing, being a woman playing sport because yeah. when you get there, you just love playing sport. With yeah, them. exactly. And I think there's also – so there's the big scale, so the WBBL and the Australian cricket team. There's also the club that helps – that I do have role models at my club. Yeah. And it shows that even though they're not playing on an international scale, that – they can still they're still like international level type players. Yeah. Even if they aren't on that team, they're still showing those skills and those attributes. Yeah, attributes. And it's definitely inspiring to me and to probably other people as well that um we that they can be at that level still and be middle aged. Yeah. And still be playing at the top of their game. Yeah. I think so last year, when I first came to watch you, mm-hmm. I think it was last year or the year before, yep. I was probably like a lot of males. I, I was open to it, but I was very, I never shame any competition for starting, but I was very questioned why the women were so public in AFLW. But when I came out and saw you play cricket and when I spoke to you through Facebook about your football and how passionate you were, it made me realise then why it is so important for the AFLW to be on. This isn't... Mm. This isn't about them, and it really, really isn't. Yep. It's about the next generation because they don't want the next generation to go through the struggles yeah. they did where at 14 they were told they're not allowed to play football again, Yeah. where they, when they got to a certain age they couldn't play in certain cricket teams and yeah. all of that. So this isn't about – and it, you always hear it's not about them, and it, and it really isn't when you actually go – for anyone that's listening to this, like go down and watch your sport and then make a decision on it yeah. because until you have been involved and seen it and watched it and see the passion, like you have a passion for sport like exactly like I do. So you have every right to play sport. There's yeah. no ifs, buts about it. And I guess the other part that is like I did boxing with Taylor Harris which yeah. um, and just seeing she's just like everyone else. Yeah, She's a human being and she does. She wants to inspire as many women as she can to play sport and it's not it's not a women versus ma- male thing. It's just allowing kids yeah. to get that through. And I think back when I first started playing footy, which was probably 2015, there was one team at my club, one girls team at my club, yeah. and we struggled to get numbers every week because there was just that minimal amount of girls playing in this team. But um, since then, five years, there's now two under-12s teams two under-14 teams, two under-16s teams, and an under-18s team, yeah. and next year they're aiming to get a senior women's side. So in five years and having the AFLW there for that pathway, um, it's allowed the club to build on in, with our women's junior side, with our girls' junior sides. Um, and obviously the women's side next year they're aiming for, yeah. I think it's really good that they have started the AFLW so that girls can see that there is a pathway there if they want it and if they yeah. want to work for it. It's really important for you, isn't it, to see yeah. that. I think <coughs> it's also allowed parents to ask their girls if they want to play footy, whereas like a dad might think, oh, I've only got girls, I'm never going to be able to watch them yeah. play footy. But then all of a sudden, oh, hang on, maybe they could actually be in the AFL one day Yeah, and they might actually ask their kids, hey, you want to come down and have a try? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's... It's always it's it's been a taboo for so many years. Mm. Girls playing sport apart from netball or basketball, um, but yeah. it really. I think we're in the middle generation. I think in twenty years' time, mm. women's sports going to be huge, yeah, huge, and it is, is getting bigger. Yeah. Um, well, I I mean, tennis has had women forever. Yeah. 
playing tennis. And now with the Grand Slams Australian Open, they're getting equal pay. Mm. So I, I see in maybe 20, 25 years or whatever it is that potentially that there's going to be an AFLW competition that runs in parallel with a men's AFL team. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to get paid the same. Yeah. And I think, like, I guess we're kind of, well, not really off topic, but kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's probably another conversation to go for hours as yeah. well. But um, it's, I think people compare too easily. It's not about comparing. It's about seeing it for what it is yeah. and realizing that women may not ever be better because mm. physically yeah. they don't have the attributes that males do. They don't have the strength. They don't have the power. That's yeah. just genetically based scientific evidence. Yeah. But it's not about that. It's about girls having an avenue, girls playing yeah. it. They will have a level that they play at yeah. and it will, it will improve. Like you think about, obviously, as you said, five years ago, one team at one club, now six, seven. Seven. Every other club, so many other clubs are like that. See, we've gone from... I don't know the exact numbers, but having 50 female teams around Victoria to now having 5,000, yeah. it's naturally going to get a lot better. At the yeah. moment, there's a lot of athletes in the AFL that are just athletes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in 10, 10 20 years time, they're going to be highly skilled athletes. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to take time and I think, it's, but it's the importance of it now isn't about who's better, what's better. It's about the next generation coming through and having that pathway for having the confidence and parents have the confidence to say do you want to go play for, do you want to go kick the footy yeah not a it's not a gender-based thing anymore um i think that's really really important um going forward yeah. is there anything else you want to add on to that mental um, health sport um just if you are struggling with mental health issues um, definitely try and find an outlet um, and talk to other people about it because I know that's something that I really struggle with. And even if it's not about my mental health, I just struggle to open up in the first place. Yeah. So if I'm angry, I'll just sort of not talk to people and I'll just wall, build a wall and not climb over it <laughs> <laughs> until probably a later day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good advice. Yeah. And it's good advice, especially for, well, for everyone, but people about to go through VCA. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, and get help from your teachers if you need it. Yeah, it's something I didn't do, <laughs> but I honestly didn't care about school. <laughs> but the pressure we put on ourselves through that period of time doesn't help. No. It actually makes things worse. Yeah. So just open, be open with people if you are struggling about anything. I think is a key message. Let's talk about Kate. Kate is my girlfriend. Yes. Yes. Look at the smile on her face. It's just like lit up. Um, how long has Kate been your girlfriend for? Kate has been my girlfriend. What's the date? It's 22nd of March. So two years, two months, and six days. Not that I'm, I actually don't count, but I just thought I'd put that there for the record. <laughs> <laughs> so would she remember? Yes. That? Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're both girls. We both remember anniversaries. <laughs> um. This, I mean, this could, this probably could go anyway. Yeah. Um. But I, I think I'll start at the start. When did you first realize that you liked girls? Um. I think looking back now, I think I had a crush on a girl when I was in kindergarten. Yeah. But at the time, it was just sort of like a oh. I really enjoy hanging out with her. She's really fun. I really like it when she comes into the room because I can go hang out with her. Yeah. But looking back now, it's like, well, I liked her. Yeah. <laughs> that was – but I didn't really act upon it until I was probably grade five, grade six, and I thought, well, maybe I do like girls. And then I was like, well, what do I do? Um, And I haven't been in a relationship before Kate, so it was – and she hadn't either. So we were in grade nine – nine and we've been friends like best friends for a solid 
four or five months. Yeah. And I think we both knew that it was going to end up in something because we had both openly spoken about our sexual sexualities um bisexual as well yeah um and yeah so I, I had had crushes of both genders over the years i think but yeah back in kindergarten was probably when it started when did you tell the family um i didn't tell the family until a month after kate and i started dating <laughs> <laughs> but let's make sure this is right before we uh, break this, this conversation <laughs> but saying that I had actually said something to Elisa about six weeks before Tegan told us that I thought that there was something more between Tegan and Kate than just friendship. Because we were... Elisa's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) We had a very close friendship to begin with. Like, we were probably a lot more touchy-feely than what best friends would be towards each other. Um, And then, obviously, when we got together, it confirmed that we did want to be more than just friends. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was... It was okay for me when I came out because uh, both my parents were really supportive. I came out to my sister first. She was the first person that I told. What did you say? She was just like, all right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> back to sleep. I like <laughs> went over to her and I sat down in her bed and I was like, Kate and I are dating. And she's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. And I was like, all right. Cool. And I just like walked out, and it was probably like actually a really good response to get in a way. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it's, there's no big, it's not, mm. not a big deal. Yeah, mm. and I think when I told mum and dad, because I told them at separate times, and who were you more scared of telling? Um, I think I was. I th- I thought I was more scared of telling dad. I don't know why, but um, he had the better reaction out of the two. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, he already <laughs> yeah. <knew. laughs> well, yeah, he knew, but um. When I told I no, I guess yeah, she, I, I guess. <laughs> but um, I when I told I told mum in the night, and I said to her, "At night, dating," and she was like, "Okay, so what does that mean?" And I said, "Well, it's like before you and dad got married, you guys were dating." <laughs> and she's like, "Okay, it's going to take me a bit to get used to," yeah. but she's fine now. Like yeah, we're fine. Yeah. I only took her probably a couple months. Um, and then dad straight away was like hugging me and I was like, okay, well, there was nothing to be worried about there. But mum was like, you have to tell dad because I can't tell him because he's going to feel that you can't go to him about stuff. So I was like, well, yeah, I was going to tell him anyway, but I just had to tell you now because that's what Kate and I had decided on. We said, oh, we'll go home tonight and we'll tell them. Um, yeah. Yeah. how is Kate's family without, like, we won't go into too much detail yeah. because um, it's not, but what was that like? Kate, when Kate came out to her family, they were not very supportive. Yeah. They were like, you guys can't see each other anymore, no more sleepovers, Um, can't hang out, yeah, can't hang out, no more sleepovers, all that sort of stuff. Um, And once they sort of thought about it, I think, we had a couple sleepovers, we don't really do sleepovers anymore just because their f- her family is very – they don't really like me. It's not because that we're gay. It's because they don't like me as a person and they feel that I'm manipulating Kate into being gay and that everyone's gay these days and it's a fad. Yeah. And that Kate isn't really gay, so they don't really acknowledge our relationship. Yeah. But yet they don't let us – and they don't let us be home alone together, which, I mean, is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's they just a normal teenage yeah. type thing. They don't let us sit next to each other on the couch, pretty much. We yeah. have to have one foot on the ground. Um, so we can't, like, cuddle on the couch together at their place. At my place, it's all right. 
mum and dad are pretty flexible with things at our place. Um, we're not allowed to go into any bedroom together unless there's someone else in the bedroom. Yeah. Even if the door is open. Um, we there's just a lot of rules at her place, and I think that's also something that gets me anxious. Yeah. Because I feel that I can't. Yourself. Yeah. I can't be a girlfriend at yeah. her place. Yeah, you just, um, it's like you pushed further away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to say their reaction is bad, good, ugly, or indifferent. Um, everyone reacts differently to different situations and why we're being brought up. Mm. It's, um, 30 or 40 years time, this will be, when I say the social norm, it, it will just be what it is. Yeah. We're just in a very, we're in a transition period. So, yes, I'm not trying to give advice, but I'm trying to say that we have to respect the way um, other parents feel yeah. in situations like these, um, especially not when you're not eight, both 18 yeah. and stuff like that. And, and, like, we're not allowed to sleep in the same bed, which is – I. At the start, I was like, oh, but we're both girls. We can't get pregnant. Yeah. But now I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Like, if I, it was a boyfriend, it would be exactly the same. Yeah. So, and that's what mum and dad both said to me as well. They were like, well, we're treating it as if, if it was a boyfriend, it would be exactly the same. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's really important to, to handle um, and understand for everyone's because it's the same more than those like sleeping girls' rooms yeah. until certain ages and stuff like that as well. So, um, even now, I don't think Mum would let me sleep in Alicia's room. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish Alicia didn't let me sleep in there sometimes. <laughs> um, she's not she's not actually out here, so she probably can't hear. But um, is is there any other struggles that has come from being open about your relationship and stuff like that, like with school and social media, and, um, or has it been pretty good for you? Social media. Because I, I posted a coming out post and it was basically a picture of me and Kate and I was like, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And that post probably got about 50 comments. It was really positive emotions towards it. Yeah. At school, we got a bit of slack from it, just from idiot boys, just being boys. Yeah. Um, And I guess we didn't really act upon it because we were like, well, what, are, what what's going to happen if we do sort of paddle on them? Yeah. They're just gonna. It's just gonna be worse. Yeah. So we're like, we'll just ignore it. It'll be fine. And all those boys have dropped out now, so it's fine now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're living our best life at the moment. I think. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's gonna be struggles in relationships, and there's always struggles in relationships. But we've worked through them together, and we have a very honest relationship. I think. And my communication since getting together with Kate, my communication skills have gotten better with my emotions. Yeah. Because that is something that we have thought about. Um, and really sounds like a normal relationship. Yeah. Doesn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> at least you'll listen to this and go, oh, that sounds like shame. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I've definitely improved my communication skills with my emotions and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and stuff. Yeah. Since getting together with Kate, because she is a very emotional person. Yeah. Because she's had a lot of hardship happen in her life. I won't go into detail because I don't know if she wants me to talk about no, that or not. Leave that out. But um, she needs stability in her life now yeah. and she sees that with me and I see that with her so we're happy and yeah. Well I've seen you two together on both four occasions and a couple of times at the career where she just turned up and she runs at you like you can see the affection yeah. and the love there it's mm. and I guess you would see that all yeah. the time <laughs> um, yeah. but you can you can see it straight away like she runs up to you and you hug each mm. other and it's like 
Yeah. This is it's probably the closest I've ever been to it. I know people that are gay and um are in, in my female relations or male male relationships. But I guess when it's your family, you kind of you do take a bit more note of it, and because yeah. you, you care, and I do care. Like I don't want to see you get hurt. Yeah. Um. Neither does anyone in your family, yeah. but you do see the love that's that's there. And um, I think because we aren't really allowed to be affectionate at home when we go out we are sort of not all over each other like a little bit but um we do show our affection when we're out and sometimes we get looks from people in the shops like ill yeah gay no thank you it's mostly the older generation but that's okay but um we just sort of go whatever like if we were just a normal not normal, but a male-female relationship, we wouldn't be getting those looks. And it's just because of the stigma around same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, And I think, like what you were saying just then with us running up to each other and hugs and stuff, um, we've done that pretty much the whole time. Mm. And I think that it's it's because we can't sort of be ourselves in a way at home. Yeah. Because there's always that, oh, what if we get in trouble? What if it's they, pretty normal yeah. teenage relationship to be honest. As soon as they're outside the house, the the ball sort of comes <laughs> a little bit. That's 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 pretty normal. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just picture. I'm picturing girls that I at my house, and as soon as you get outside the house, and uh, yeah, you do. You, you, there's a lot more affection. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good way to be because you don't want to be in each other's pockets at the same time. Yeah. Um. How how proud are you, Matt, of Tegan and everything? He'll probably cry here again, Tegan. Really. <laughs> um, no, right. How proud of you? Like, obviously, lots of battles. She's opened up about, a little bit about her mental health, you know, fought through leukemia now, playing sport in a world heavily criticised in females play sport and openly in a female-female relationship. Like, yeah, I guess Tegan... I'm super proud of it, absolutely. I um, always have been. Um, right through, yeah, I guess the leukemia journey, she was very strong, um, never complained once, um, cried a few times when she was having treatment, um, dealt with the whole treatment experience in a really positive way. Um, she's still quite guarded with her, her mental health stuff. Yeah. She doesn't share a lot with us um, and it's hard to get her to share. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm letting her take it at her own pace, yeah. I suppose, with that. Um, and, yeah, I guess with the um, sport, she's always been a very sporty person. She's always enjoyed being out, you know, riding a bike around and, and running around outside and then, um, you know, organised footy and cricket, baseball, really enjoyed Supporting her and all that sort of stuff. I've always tried to get it to as many games as I can when I'm not working. Um, I'm the scorer now for the, the, yeah. the Wounds team, so it's <laughs> good. Um, and they love having Dad there as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, of course, with, with Kate, um, super supportive. want to see them have the best life they can. Um, you know, if they go on to get married in the future, that, that, that'd be awesome as well. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that she wants to marry a man. That's fine as well. I, I really don't care what gender the spouse is as long as they're treating her, her right yeah. and um, love each other. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just super proud of how she's turning out. It's going all right. It's going all right. I think uh, it's be clear. Um, well, if I say too much more, she may not be able to get out of the door because it's <laughs> going to be too big. <laughs> um, no, I'm sure... Knowing what I know, that she'll she'll pull herself back into line at some point. The, the head will shrink back down. And, <laughs> um, so it'll be okay. But 
I guess I don't have really any more questions to ask. I just want to know if there's anything you want to add. Oh, I do have one question. Sorry, I just that's a final question. Okay. Um, Did you want to talk about the women at the club and how a lot of them are, are gay as well? Or? Yeah. So our at Frankston Women's Cricket Club, a lot, pretty much our whole team, the whole club is gay in a sense. Yeah. Um. We have a lot of couples at the club. Yep. Now playing the first and the second teams. Um, one of our top players in my team, the Shield team, her fiance, I think, um, play is the captain of the South team, so the next team below us, the seconds. Um, yeah, they they're very supportive, obviously, because they're the same, going through the same as what I am. Yeah. Um. They sort of. I remember my fir- the first couple of training sessions. Kate came to one of them, and I remember one of my friends that goes to school with me at the time was playing with them, and that's how I sort of got involved with them. She came up to me, and I think it was Dad that told me this. Um, that one of the players was talking to Dad and was saying, "Oh, it's really good that she can sort of express herself yeah. at her age now." Um, and, and openly show who she is now. And I think that's something that I couldn't have done 10 years ago. Yeah. Even if I was at the age that I am now 10 years ago, like, it's difficult. I think that's really powerful as well because at your age, like, that's going to inspire older generations as well, like it, that you show their love and affection. Yeah. Other people are going to go, they're doing it, I can do it. Yeah. And yeah. That's... that's Usually it's the older will inspire the younger, but I think with this kind of thing, seeing that and seeing the strength and the power and the vulnerability of, of showing that is, is going to be huge. And probably for the ladies at the cricket club, they would be like, I wish I could have done that. Yeah. And they look at it with probably admiration and respect and um, I guess get inspired by that as well. So yeah. um, it is a good place for you to be, grow up, learn, yeah. develop. Um, and I definitely enjoy hanging out with all the girls down at the club. They're really supportive of my cricket as well. Yeah. I always want to see everyone improve and they're always like, oh, yeah, how was your day? Even if it's not cricket talk, they yeah, they always want to know how you're going. Yeah. And I just find that really good because yeah. sometimes I don't get asked that. Yeah. Yeah. They are people that genuinely care. Yeah. And that's what sporting clubs are. Uh, and that's why I think it's such a great thing for females to now be involved in sporting clubs as yeah. well because it's, I grew up and I remember parents slagging off sporting clubs saying, oh, it's bad culture. But the thing with sporting clubs is you've always got someone that will back you up and stand by you no matter what you're going through. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have sporting clubs, sometimes that, that can be a struggle. Yeah. yeah. Got two questions. Okay. Uh, actually, one's for Matt. You've done a lot of crazy marathons. <laughs> Why? Oh my gosh. That's a, know, whole, that's know, a whole other topic. I know, I know why, in a way, but I know some of it has been to raise funds and awareness. Yeah, uh, look, after I finished high school, I didn't run for 20 years at all. <laughs> um, I had a friend at, at work, um, she went on maternity leave, and we were really close, and she said, just before she, like the day she was leaving, said, oh, next year I plan on doing the half marathon at Melbourne Marathon. I said, oh, yeah, all right. If you do it, I'll do it. Again, yeah, that's not bad. She's going to do it. <laughs> and I did nothing for 12 months. And she came back from maternity leave. She said, oh, you're still keen on doing the, mar- the half marathon? I went, yes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had 10 months to train for it and train for it. Um, and 
about six weeks before the marathon was supposed to start, or the, the event was on, is when Tegan was diagnosed with leukemia. And for three weeks, I didn't run at all. Yeah, we were obviously in a big whirlwind and, and, you know, trying to come to terms with the treatment and stuff. And sort of with three weeks to go to the half marathon, I made a decision to go ahead with it because I thought, well, I've done all this work. I can't not do it. And so myself and Lucy, the girl from Holden that I worked with, um, the two of us ran the whole thing together side by side and one of her friends ran it with us and I guess Melbourne Marathon finishes inside the MCG and in that last run down Brunton Avenue I lost it burst into tears and kept running but they were both sort of hands around, around me and stuff and yeah I just I guess it was yeah build up of emotion from what Tegan's been going through yeah. and finally finishing a half marathon yeah it was just such a great day um, and since then I've completed I think 10 marathons and full 42 kilometer marathons and yeah a lot of it's been to sort of I guess raise awareness of what Tegan's been going through, um, raise some money along the way if I can. Um, yeah, just to try and make things easier for other people. Yeah. And it's also a good outlet for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's a long outlet. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh Yeah. They've done one one marathon distance type run and uh it's not great for the body. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, but like when I was running regularly, and I've probably haven't run regularly for three, four years again now. But I, I did four marathons in four months. Yeah, and all of them were sub five hours. Um, for just over four and a half hours was my PB. So. But I found I didn't actually do any training in between. Yeah, because just, I was at that level already. Yeah, and, yeah. You could get the finish line. Yeah, which is the only thing if you know mentally. Then yeah, you can do it. Um, last question for Tegan: What's the plans for the future? Oh, I don't know. I literally get asked that question pretty much every day because I'm a VCA student. But um, I want to play cricket for Australia. Yeah. Um, not sure if that's going to happen at the level that I'm at now. But I'm my plans are to obviously train and get better. Which is pretty much what everyone does in sport. Yeah. Um. I also want to run my own business one day. Yeah. Not sure what that business is going to be at this stage. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, I've got another question as well. <laughs> um, this is me. Just really not good. Who are your favourite AFLW and women's sports cricket stars and stuff like Pip? Who's probably the top two or three that you'd love to sit down in the room with and have a conversation with? Daisy Pierce, yeah. Taylor Harris. Um, cricketers probably Meg Lanning. She's always been my idol pretty much throughout, like even before I even started playing cricket, she was always the one that I was like, yeah, I want to be like her. Like I want to be the Australian captain. Um, Elise Perry is obviously a gun. She is absolutely amazing at what she does and she's an idol for a lot of people and me as well because she's just awesome. Yeah. Um, Pretty good for, yeah. Pretty good for, pretty, pretty talented people, yeah. Um, and from what you say, they're pretty nice people as well, yeah. Um, now we're gonna need more time to think what else you want to do in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think so. Um, I want to buy a house, yeah. So I have a job, I work at KFC, but before that, I worked at a cafe for three months, and since I started at that cafe I've been putting away a certain amount of my paycheck payslip whatever um and I haven't touched that and I've got a substantial amount of money in there now um and I want to that's my goal for that 
account is to buy a house with it. And I think in our economy and our generation, there aren't going to be a lot of people in my generation that can say that they do own a house just with real estate prices and interest and stuff like that. And I think I know a lot of people that a lot of my friends, they have savings accounts, but then they just are taking from that savings account constantly. And they don't really have two accounts that it's like, okay, that one's can't touch that one that's for saving and then that one's for spending or whatever I want to do and they don't really have that balance for their bank accounts and I think um mum and dad have been really educated me really well to sort of say not just mum and dad as well like my grandparents have also told me to just sort of keep that money there and keep saving it don't touch it at all because interest rates will build up and stuff yeah and it'll be good in the long run but yeah, that's another one of my goals. Own a house. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. I'll say thank you both of you for sharing. Um, I expected Tegan to get some tears out, but unfortunately, <laughs> dad cried instead. Um, but no, thank you for sharing all of that. I know that um, can be quite hard, but I think it's stories like that need to be told because a lot of people go through cancer battles and um, feel quite alone and there's some key messages in there that we'll, we'll share and then there's some powerful messages um, about sport and um, being in an open um, gay relationship is going to be very powerful and um, I think, you know, it's going to, this one's going to help a lot of people but I don't necessarily think it might be in the next six months. I think this might be one that people listen back on in a couple of years' time and, uh, yeah, that, you know, I've got to change my mind. I remember listening to that. I was very judgmental and... Um, so thank you very much thank you for having us no worries thanks for listening to power strength and vulnerability the mental health podcast if anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings please call lifeline on 13 1144 for any further information or if you want to bring your story to life contact shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.